Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. Hey, very excited to be preaching here tonight on our Hope of Glory series where we're going through um, the book of Colossians one week at a time, chapter one tonight with me, chapter two next week. Um, I think with Pastor Johanna, is that right? Pastor Johanna next week? No? All right, we'll figure that out when we get there she, at some point. Um, hey, um, I want to give big honor first and foremost to our senior pastors, Pastor Paul and Kate, for believing in someone like me um, that can't even remember who's preaching the next week. I know it's someone great, that's for certain, but honestly, I want to honor you. Um, just what a church, right? What a church. Like, I, I, I'm just, I count my lucky stars that I was able to grow up in a church like this. Um, and I, I just want to honor you for all that you give your, your life is, and it's awesome. I want to honor my parents um, and my grandma as well. Thanks for making me who I am. I very much love you both. And both all, including grandma. Love you. <laughs> awesome. Hey, we're going to look into the Bible tonight. I, I'm going to preach a word. I'm going to give two points on Colossians, just two points on Colossians, but I'm going to kind of start um, just giving some pointers or talking about what it means to read our Bible, really really what the Bible is. Um, I honestly wish I had three hours tonight, even three days, um, because this is my passion. This is what I beat with. I, I really do mean that, um, but I'm going to be respectful of all of our bedtimes, and uh, I reckon we'll, we'll go for a solid 30 minutes tonight. But why don't we pray, and we'll dive into this. Lord Jesus We just honor you in this place tonight, God. We pray would you have all the glory. Lord God, would we come to know you more and more, Lord Jesus, through um, these next 30 minutes, God. Would we fall more in love with you, more in love with your word. And God, we just pray, would we receive a touch from heaven right now, God. We, We come expectant, knowing, Lord, that you are in this place, God. You are in your word, and we just give you all the glory and honor in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Amen. I'm feeling it. So I've got a feeling we're going to have a really great night, church. That's what I, that's what I think. Is anyone there with me? Are we going to have a good night? Amen. Amen. Um, now, I often hear um, atheists say that they, they, they can't get over the idea of, uh, they think it's ridiculous, this idea of a God who lives in the clouds with these big gray beard and these big white robes. And, you know, I've got to say, I actually kind of agree with them there, um, because that's not really the God that the Bible presents us with. Now, we obviously have a God that is outside of the world, but the Bible actually presents us with a God who isn't sitting in the clouds, but one who's actually on the ground. One who took on physical human flesh, um, and he might have had a really big beard and a white robe. I'm not sure. I don't know what the style of the day was, um, to be completely honest. But we worship a God who didn't just create time and space, but he decided to inhibit it. Um, And the book of Colossians, particularly the first chapter, uh, we find Paul having to get this church back to grips with that fact because they're, they're people that had come in um, and they, they were starting to um, kind of get these ideas going and it's the broad label for these ideas is Gnosticism. It's the idea that the body's bad and so God couldn't possibly come into this world because the world is distinct from God. It came from this Greek philosophy that God's outside of the world and so anything that's far away from God must be bad. Um, but Paul's going to come here and be like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what we're going with. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came down. He inhabited human flesh. And by that, he has made 
all of us righteous. That, that's, that's just a little summary of what's happening in chapter one there. Um, but I'm a big, I, I love some history. I'm reading this big, um, really big history of Christianity book at the moment. And you know what I find? I find the more that I investigate history, the more I come to understand myself as a child of God, and the more I come to understand God. Because like I said, we worship a God. And when, when we read our Bible, we read about a God who isn't just off in the clouds, you know, playing with the other gods like they were in Greek mythology. We, we read stories about a God who was active in, you know, Israel and a God who was active in Persia and a God who was active in Asia Minor and, and Rome and all of these places here. We worship and we read about a God who was on the ground, history. He didn't just create time and space. He's not just going to end time and space one day, but he decided to come and inhibit it, come to be part of it um, in Jesus Christ, but also through how we moved in the Old Testament and all those things there. Um, and for me, because I, I love history, actually, I, I love travel as well. And um, But what I did a couple of years ago is I, I went on a journey to the Middle East and I went to Iran. It was really fun. Um, I, yeah, I had an amazing time in Iran. Food was great, would recommend. Um, but when I went there, I went to this place called Persepolis and I, I went to the graves of these kings. Um, one of them is King Darius. He was a Persian king. And that's the same Darius that we read in the Bible who threw Daniel into the lion's den. And then I saw the grave of King Cyrus, who is the the only non-Israelite in the Old Testament to be given the term Messiah, which means anointed, because what Cyrus did is he got the Israelites and he said, you know what? You can go back to your homeland now. You can rebuild your temple. You can worship your God. And so the Bible sings some high praise about him. But I remember being there and, and kind of being at these king's graves. And I, I remember just the presence of God hitting me and, and me realizing that, God, you moved through these Persian kings to bring about my salvation. You know, it was because you, you used this King Cyrus, you allowed the Israelites to go back to their land and then to eventually fulfill a um, prophecy that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem and that I could know you fully, that I could be made holy in your name. And this is why, and this is why I would encourage us in kind of my, uh, in talking about the Bible, this is what I'm trying to get at right now, is get to know your history. Because if you get to know your history, you'll find such a richer and deeper understanding of yourself, of your own faith. I recently went to Tasmania and um, I, I met my great aunt. Um, I think that's right. I think it was great aunt, uh, my, my dad's auntie. And um, I'd never met her before. And she showed me all these, um, these photos of, you know, um, different family members, like super, you know, 17, 1800 kind of family members. And I remember looking at it and I, I, don't, I can't even explain it, but I just felt like I knew myself a bit better because I was beginning to understand where I came from. And what I would love to encourage us, motivate us as a church to do is to get to know yourself a bit better, get to know your faith a bit better. Christianity didn't start 50 years ago. God didn't start moving in the world when he came to impact your life. He, he kicked in some motion. He's been going through it the whole time, the whole time. He's continuing to move. And, and you, you know why it's good to know your history? Because it can get you to believe that God actually can move now. Because right now, we're just in a moment of history. In this, in this room here, we're in 2019. I think it's the 6th of October, something like that. When we begin to look into the background of the Bible, it actually gives us a little, oh God, like you, you, didn't, you, you were moving in the same air that I'm breathing right now. The same earth that, that I get to walk on, that's the one that these stories are happening on. And it can make the Bible real for us again. And there's something so powerful when the Bible becomes real for us. When we, when we actually start to believe it for what it says there. Um, 
I actually, on that journey after I went to Iran, I flew to Turkey. And when I went to Turkey, I did what even Paul the Apostle didn't do. I went to Colossae. And I want to show a couple photos here. So this is, this is Colossae. Um, it is basically in the Gundawindi of Turkey. There was no one around. No one around. I'm not even kidding. I was there for a solid hour at Colossae. I mean, if you flick to the next photo, this is what it is. It's just this big green mount. That's, that's all it is. And um, I think I saw like one farmer drive by at one point. Tried to wave, be like, hey, <laughs> I'm here. Um, but there's, there's no one there. Um, and when I was there, it kind of made me realize how distant I am from the Bible that I read. Um, because previously, 2,000 years ago, that was a vibrant Roman city. But after 2,000 years of history, there's a, there's a bit of digging you've got to do to find out what's actually underneath the surface there. And if you go to the next photo, you'll find that this is all I found. I didn't have a tour guide. There was no ticketing office. There was nothing. This is the only evidence I could find that maybe there was something a little deeper. It's just this kind of, it didn't go any deeper than that, but some, some bricks. It looked like there was something underneath. But I, I, I show this to encourage you, is that if you dig deep into your Bible, there are great riches to find. You might find a vibrant Roman city. You might find something that can absolutely change your life. But I'd like to challenge us for one moment, is that you're the one that's going to pick up the shovel. You know, I would love to unpack all the mysteries of the Bible in this 30-minute preach. Or even, I I would love for you to even know it, you know, in your life group that you go to midweek. But can I let you know, is that the Sunday and the life group that you go to midweek is not enough to know your Bible. It's not enough. It's good, and thank God that you're here tonight, but it is not enough because God wants us to have a personal relationship with Him and a personal understanding of His Word that He has given and delivered to us to read, to um, get ourselves into there. I, um, but if you do pick up that shovel, man, you're going to find some crazy things. You might find your life radically transformed. Even I'm, I'm talking to Christians here tonight. As a Christian, you might find as you begin to dig a little deeper, the understandings, the riches that you fall into, um, it can change your life. My life, I, when I think of the, how God has changed my life, I can, I can narrow every single moment down to me believing in the Word of God and me trusting it for what it said and me deciding to make a move based upon the Word of God. See, we're not called to live an experiential faith, although we are called to experience God because He lives in history and He's here right now tonight. But we're not called to just live an experiential faith. We're called to live one which is backed by the Word of God, which we all get to read, the same Word, the same Word. It's what unifies us. It's beautiful. Um, I'm going to give us just a couple, just a couple tips on, on reading the Word of God. Um, but before I do, I think it's helpful to know the essence of God, um, essence of the Word of God, the essence of kind of the gospel, the biblical story that's given to us. And there's this guy called Karl Barth. Um, he's kind of like the Albert Einstein of theology in the 20th century. He's the, he's the top dog. And he, um, he wrote this, like, like, the book is, I'm not even exaggerating, I couldn't fit the entirety of the book on this pulpit here. Um, it's a five-volume work called Church Dogmatics, and he, it's kind of all about explaining what's Christianity about, you know, what do Christians believe, how's it all go? And um, a, a very prudent student in one of his lectures, because um, obviously he just didn't want to do the work, he decided to put his hand up and, and ask him, look, Professor, if you could sum up all your work, if you're trying to explain the Bible, trying to explain the Christian message to us, which you've written six million plus words for, if you could just sum up in one sentence, what would you say? A really good question, right? Really good question. And I love Karl Barth's response. He says this. He says, the essence of it is this, is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Six million words, six million words. And I'm not trying to denigrate, like, you know, read the words. They're great. I would love, I love big books. I'm fully intending, I don't think I ever will, but to read that at one point in my life. But you know what? I would rather know that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, than know every word in that big collection of books there. Um, And so with that in mind, I want to give us three tips into reading the Bible, okay? Tip number one from me, read into the historical context and don't forget that Jesus loves you. Tip number two, read it in God's presence and don't forget that Jesus loves you. You know, I think it's so funny. Sometimes we go to the Bible and we just forget that God's in it, you know? We, we start reading and we, we, got, we get all these questions and we forget that God's right there for us to ask them too. We forget that He's right there for us to, uh, to ask Him, God, would you make me more like this? Or God, this story where people aren't doing what they're supposed to do, can you show me where I might be doing that in my life so that I can become more like you? Um, God's there when you read your Bible. We, should, we always want to read our word in prayerful consideration. Tip number three, read it to live it and don't forget that Jesus loves you. Um, I want to give us a really challenging quote, but I didn't say it, okay, so you can't hold this against me. Um, This comes from Soren Kierkegaard. He says this, The matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. I didn't say it, okay? I didn't say it. That was him, all right? You know, you can crucify him, not me. It wasn't me. Um, But it's very true, isn't it? It's very true. As soon as we actually accept, oh, that's what Jesus meant, then we've got to do it. But when we do do it, man, life begins to go crazy. Life begins to go haywire. When we actually choose to accept, oh, God, you told me to love those who persecute me. All right, I'm not going to try to contextualize this away as, you know, oh, it's clearly just speaking to these people in that particular circumstance. No, I've got someone that, that really doesn't like me right now. I'm going to love them back. When Jesus says, you know, hey, you know, if your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. Hey, okay, we're not always taking things exactly as they meant, but we're looking at that be like, okay, God, something's causing me to sin. I'm going to remove it from my life. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, um, get rid of maybe that social circle, which just constantly leads me down that bad path. And I'm going to engage with a different one, one that's going to lead me closer and closer to you. Read it to live it. Don't be one of those scheming swindlers. Um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, people from like 200 years ago, I feel like they're just so much more brutal than, than us, us people. It's, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Uh, but I love it. It's, it's refreshing. Uh, so good. All right, we're going to dive into Colossians. That was my, that was my preference. I feel like we should even pray again. Can we pray again? We're going to pray again. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are here. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, as we dive into this first chapter of Colossians. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read um, the, the first kind of chunk of Colossians. Um, but before I do, this here is written to gospel believers, people that believe the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul's encouraging them and kind of giving some words particularly for them. And the reason I say this is because that for many of us is us here tonight. Um, we're people that believe in the gospel. And if you don't know what the gospel is, I, I think it's put beautifully in these four lines of a hymn. It says this, there is a green hill far away without a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. That's the gospel, that there was a man who was God He created us, 
We fell in our sin, but he came and redeemed us that we can have life everlasting with him. Does anyone, does anyone know that gospel here tonight? Does anyone live in that gospel? Just a couple people in a church, really? Like, okay, yeah, I'm seeing some more hands. Does anyone know, live, breathe the gospel in this place? Is it your life? Is it the only truth you know above any other truth? Okay, good. That's great. Uh, if not, we are going to have a lot of fun down at the altar here tonight. Come on, hallelujah. Because um, <laughs> he's talking to you. He's talking to you when he writes these words right here. So I'm going to read them um, from Colossians 1, 1 to 14. It says this. Okay, it's on the screen, right? Yeah, we're good. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So the holy ones and faithful brothers in Christ and Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the holy ones because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Of this you have already heard through the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, so also among you from the day you heard it and came to know the grace of God and truth, as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow slave, who was a trustworthy minister of Christ on your behalf, and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. Next slide. Therefore, from the day we heard this, we do not cease praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord so as to be fully pleasing in every good work, bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with every power in accordance with his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has made you fit to share in the inheritance of the holy ones in light. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. If we could put that um, second verse back up there. I um, <laughs> who does Paul address his letter to? He doesn't address it to the Christians because they didn't really know what to call them yet. It was, it was, that's why I kind of talked about gospel believers. The word Christian wasn't really in vogue till a little bit after the Bible was written. Um, but he doesn't say gospel believers either. What's the word that he uses in verse two there? He says, to the holy ones. And if you don't catch that, you can kind of miss how radical that is. That Jesus calls those who have accepted his gospel holy. Holy. And so that's you here today. That Jesus has called you as you accepted his truth. He has said, you are holy. I, um, the word holy in Hebrew is kadosh. The reason I shared that is I just think it's really fun to say kadosh. Kind of, you know... <laughs> Glad someone laughed. <laughs> you know what it means to be holy? It means that you're pure. It means that you're clean. It means that you are free from all defilement, that you're set apart and pleasing in the eyes of God. It means that you're consecrated, that you're saintly, that you possess qualities which allow you access to the throne room of God. Holy means that you were chosen. Holy means that you are different now. Holy means that you rest in the arms of God. What a revelation. But my question is, do you feel holy? 
And if not, that's all right. The, prob- the person next to you probably doesn't either. <laughs> I know sometimes I don't feel too holy in my life. But you know what? I know that the Word of God is truer than my feelings. And as Christians, there's this word, it's, it's called sanctification. And really what it is, is it's just the, the, the name for the process which we go on as Christians of being holy and yet being made holy. I can't quite un- explain it to you. I'll be completely honest. It, it's still, it's like I, I, my mind doesn't quite 100% get all the mysteries and knowledge of God. That's why Paul writes, he prays, would you know God more? Would you fully understand it? And that's my prayer here tonight as well. But I want to let you know, you are both fully holy in your identity, fully pure, fully clean, fully ready, and a vessel of the Holy Spirit. And yet God is in your life making you holy. He is sanctifying you and making you more like Him. That's His promise. Did you know that the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in unholy vessels? And that's how you can know. If you've got doubts about whether you're holy, let me ask you this. Does the Holy Spirit reside in you? Because Jesus said that it would if you accepted him in John chapter 20. But so if the Holy Spirit resides in you, the, well, you have to be holy. Because the Holy Spirit can't reside in an unholy vessel. If you read your Old Testament, you know that people died when they went into the Holy of Holies but weren't holy. They had to pure themselves through sacrificial offerings before they could enter that. Otherwise, it was too much for you. So if you're living in this place and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then the truth is that you are a holy, consecrated vessel for God. What that means for us then is that we can have the biggest smile on our face Because we can know God fully. We can enter his throne room. We can allow his presence to engulf our life. I I, I really feel tonight that there's some people here and you need to just start confessing again that you're holy. You've been, I don't know what lies have been speaking in, but maybe maybe it's that you feel like, you know, it's a humility thing. Oh, I don't, I want to be humble. I don't, I don't want to call myself holy. Can I tell you, there's nothing humble about denying the Word of God. There's nothing humble about denying the Word of God. You know, there's, and just in case you, if you're thinking, well, you just take one verse here, Harrison. It's a grinning of the letter. If you, if you look through the rest of it in verse four, it says, to the love that you have for all the holy ones. In verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has made you fit to share in the inheritance of the holy ones in light. Verse 22, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through his death to present you holy without blemish um, and irreproachable for in verse 26, the mystery is hidden from age and from generation past, but it has now been manifested to his holy ones. It's not a question. You are holy. It's your identity. Live it, confess it, breathe it, and watch it change your life. Watch it change your life. And whatever it is that makes you feel unholy, can I just let you know God knows it and he's actually working on it right now. And maybe he's working in your time frame, but odds are he's probably not. Because <laughs> God's time frame is always bigger than ours. But don't let that thing stop you from confessing that biblical truth that God, you have made me holy. You have made me pure. And so I will boldly come to you knowing that you have the power and might to cut off all in my life that's not of you. You are made holy in the presence of God. It's who you are. You've got a holy fire burning within you. This isn't a speech that I'm giving to you. Like, I just, oh, 
just know it and live it and confess it. I, I really feel even there might be some people here tonight, you need to write it on your shower window or something like that. You need to have it on your wall. You need to have it on the front page of every single diary that you've got, that I am holy, a holy vessel of God. Confess it, confess it, confess it, and watch it change your life. Watch it change your life. You are completely holy, for God has redeemed you. And that's the gospel. That's what it is. I, um, there's so much else in that part there, but actually, just for, um, we're going to move on, and I'm going to look at um, the next part of Colossians here. So if we can put that up on the screen. So that's who you are, and this is who Christ is. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. Next slide. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God has reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind because of evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through his death to present you holy, without blemish, and irreproachable before him, provided that you persevere in the faith, firmly grounded, stable, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, am a minister. Uh, tonight, I'm just trying to preach the gospel um, to us here. There's not many bells and whistles. And I, I honestly sometimes feel like the Bible, actually, no, I feel all the time the Bible preaches the gospel better than any of my 21st century ideas possibly could. And that's my encouragement to you tonight. Go home into your Bible and watch how the gospel gets preached to you. Watch the word of God transform your life. Um, but what I want to pull apart, that, that part of the scripture is, is Paul really describing who Christ is for a people that had it a little bit confused. There were people coming into the church saying that, oh, you know, um, if you want to be a real follower of God, you need to be circumcised. Uh, if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to explain it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but really the, the element of that is that you've got to do this work. You're not holy until you perform these rituals. It's not just your faith. It's not just Christ. It's not just God that saves you. There's, there's an element of yourself. You've, you've got to do some work on yourself first. Then there are other people, like I said, who, are, who didn't even believe that God could exist in a human body. He basically just looked at you as evil. You know, the body was evil. There's nothing you can do to redeem it. Uh, here's Paul coming to be like, no, 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 no. None of all of that there. Christ alone is enough. Christ alone is enough. Christ alone is our faith. And if you will humbly go to his altar, and if you will, as it says at the end of that verse, if you will persevere in that gospel, stand firm in it for all the days of your life, you can enter that throne room of God with all the confidence, with all the joy that it provides to you. Um, a, a prayer that's recently been on my mouth a lot is, I don't know why, but I've just been calling Jesus Lord a lot. I do kind of know why, actually. I'm going to explain in a bit. But really, it's, it's kind of actually been my go-to when I don't even know what to pray. I just say, Lord, 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 Adonai, Adonai, Adonai. And it, it, it begins to remind me yet again that he's in control. That the situation that I, you know, I, I want to pray for that, you know, it's good. And I, I should pray for it. But above and beyond all of that, 
Jesus, you are Lord. And because you're Lord, it means you're sovereign. And because you're sovereign, it means you've got my life in your hands. That's my faith. That's what I believe. That's what I confess. That Jesus, you have got my life in your hands. Not only that, but God, you, you tell me through your word that I am in you. Literally, who you are, you have made me part with what you have. I have a part of you. I get to be in all that you are, Jesus. It's like, it's like the, the ocean. Is, I'm just surrounded by you. When I'm in the ocean, I'm surrounded by the ocean, right? When I'm in Christ, which we are when we accept his gospel, we're surrounded by him. There's nowhere that we can run from him. Every single side we go. And you know what I found is that's the greatest cure for anxiety. It's the greatest cure for anxiety in this world. And we, we live in an age where anxiety is a big issue. People worrying about their issues, worrying about their strives. Can I just let you know, the Lordship of Jesus is bigger than your anxiety. It is. And if you'll confess it and keep confessing it and keep confessing it, whether it takes a day, a week, a month, or a year, or a decade, if you keep confessing, I believe that the power of Jesus' name, the power of his Lordship is bigger than any anxiety that you can ever come across. You try it. Try it. Keep confessing it. I have. It's been my journey. I remember um, many years ago, maybe five or six, just being in a not good place mentally. But every day I decided, you know what? If I don't do anything else Christian or anything else godly, I'm just going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to try to do it with all of my heart. I'm going to try to just do it with all my heart. And it took probably maybe, I'm not kidding, it took maybe six months, but eventually there was amazing breakthrough because I decided to believe in the Word of God. And I decided to confess the Word of God, not just to listen to it, but to say it and believe it with all my truth. And you know, the gospel is so simple, but it is so powerful. It is so powerful. And I, I, I know that God wants to work in this place tonight. I know that he wants to pour out his power. I know that he wants to remind some people of his lordship. I know he wants to remind some people that you actually are a holy vessel of God, that you're enough. Did you know that? With the gospel, you're enough. You could mess up every other part of your life, but if you've got Jesus, you got it sorted. You're enough because God has made you holy. It's what you were created to be. That's the gospel. 